The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Inspire Us. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Kern Carter. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Kern. Kern is a full-time freelance writer and author who has written and self-published two novels. First, Thoughts of a Fractured Soul. It's a novella. And his second book is Beauty Scars. Kern is also a ghostwriter with credits in Forbes, The New York Times, Global Citizen, Elle Magazine, and Fatherly.com, along with having ghostwritten several books. When he's not penning novels or ghostwriting, Kern is curating stories through Cry, his online publication that creates space for artists to navigate through the emotions of their creative journey. Kern has quite the story. His story is about love. It's about love for bringing in a child into this world unprepared and uncertain about the future. You see, Kern was a sought-after basketball player with offers from universities and colleges across North America. And at the age of 18, when he got his girlfriend pregnant, decisions had to be made. And Kern demonstrates how easy it is to make the right decisions when it comes to people that you love and people that you want to bring into this world. <laughs> for anyone out there who may find themselves in a situation like Kern's. But the idea here is that love matters. And when I think about our circumstances right now with COVID-19, I think this story really applies because we're being asked at this moment to be careful about the people we see out of love for them and for humanity. You'll see by this story the awesome power of love. And let's think about it in our own stories now. And now, here's Kern Carter. Hello, Kern, and welcome to Inspire Us. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here, too. I was talking with you just the other day, and you started to tell me this incredible story about your past and your life. And I thought it was so inspirational. It's one that needs to be shared with listeners. It's one of victory and one of choice and one of resilience, all that kind of wonderful thing. Everybody has a story. You've got a pretty amazing one. Would you mind sharing that story with our listeners, please? Yeah, no, for sure. I think I'll start by saying that I had my daughter when I was uh, 18 years old. So I think that that for me is kind of where it starts. And I was an amazing basketball player in high school, actually. So I, I had a lot of scholarship offers. Like my mom had shoeboxes under her bed. Of, of the amount of college offer letters I had from, from universities who wanted me to come to their school on scholarship to play basketball. So I was a pretty good prospect. So when the news came of my daughter's mother being pregnant, it was a big deal, not just because of the baby that's coming into the world, which is a big enough deal on its own, but the fact that I was, I was very young and the fact that um, I had a lot to lose, and, and especially in the eyes of people outside of, of myself and my daughter's mom they, they looked at it as as a lot to lose and and I wanted to be there like I I I, I didn't grow up with the father 
uh, my father was absent in my life. So for me, the, the decision was actually really difficult and I wanted to be there. So the first decision that I made right off the bat was, it sounds strange right now when I repeat it to myself, but the, the first thing I did was drop out of high school. Um, I said, you know what, I have an opportunity to be here for, for my daughter's mother who was one year younger than me. So she was 17. Um, imagine that. So she, we, we, she, I dropped out of school. We moved into this one room basement in, in Rexdale together. Um, and that's where my daughter was born. She was born into that one room basement um, in Rexdale uh, 18 years ago. Now. <laughs> wow. It's been 18 years, has it? 18 years. And we think, you know, she's the same age uh, that you were when she was conceived. Yes. And, you know, going back to when I was 18, those are our interesting years of our lives because we have a lot of choices to make. And what I'm hearing from you is that you were being approached or you were a an excellent prospect for a basketball scholarship when your whole life turned around. Can you take us back to that moment? Like, was there somebody that was helping you through the decision-making process or was this something that you reflected because of your past and not growing up with your father? Was it something that came to you immediately? Yeah, there, there were a lot of people who were trying to help me. I, I, I definitely don't want to feel like I, I kind of just, I was taking this thing on my, all of, taking this thing on, on my own, but I, I rejected those people. I rejected that help. And because the help that they wanted to give me was to give me the advice to, to move on, to like take the scholarship offers, go away to university, um, don't worry about your daughter, or even uh, from a different perspective, don't have your daughter, that, that's, or don't have the child they didn't know it was a girl or a boy at that point. That was, the that was the advice I was getting. So I purposely chose to block all that out because I knew I wanted to be a father. Um, and I know it was completely the wrong time and, and, the, and everything was wrong about the situation. And yes, I, I understood that, but I, I blocked all those things out and I just decided to, to move forward on my own and, and, and have this child and have this baby, um, even though I knew it would be difficult. Was that the, was that the right decision? I, I'm gonna say yes, because at, at least at first, because even though right after that, a year after, I did end up going to university. I did get really, really lucky. And one school kept the scholarship offer after I dropped out of high school. So I did, I did, I ended up finishing high school through night school. But the one year that I got to stay home with my daughter was everything. I got to see her be born. I got to celebrate her first birthday. I got to feel, I got to just kind of experience what it felt like to be a present father. And I think if I had missed that first year, it would have impacted the way I connected with my daughter. And today me and my daughter have an incredible connection. We're, we're best friends. I have full custody of my daughter now, but we're, we're best friends. We still hang out together. We still go out, do things together. And I know, yes, it's, it might be strange to think that from zero to one, that that could have shaped the way that I am with her right now. But I, I believe that in my heart. And I believe that, you know, like God made it work out because again, I still was able to secure a scholarship offer. And then when I ended up going away for four years, even though it was it was incredibly difficult and, and I cried on the Greyhound when I was leaving, I knew at that time that was the right decision to go away because I needed to do more for my daughter. I needed to, to get my education and, and reach my full potential because I was an intelligent person. Um, I really needed to do all those things and, and, and that was the right time to make that decision.
what you're describing is a connection, a bond that was created between you and your daughter in that first year. And I know I'm, I'm a dad of two girls, two daughters, and it is an amazing connection that is made. You get to see your child grow and how they respond to you. And that must have been incredibly satisfying for you that first year with your daughter. And then to have to make that choice to move on with your scholarship must have been really hard as well uh, because she's only within her first year, right? Yeah. Did you get to come back and see her quite a bit? The thing is, no, because when you're on scholarship playing Division One basketball, I was in New York State, so I went to a school called St. Bonaventure that's, that's in Western New York near Buffalo. But when you're on scholarship at a major Division One school, you're there the entire year. You're there through Christmas break, March break, um, and one month over the summer because they want you to take summer school and train together. So I only got to come home once right after the school year was over. So like around March, um, like close before the school year was over and then one month in the summer. So for, for three years, for the first three years, I didn't see, I only saw her those times. Um, and every time I saw her, she'd be at a different stage of her development. Because <laughs> you can imagine going from like August to, to March, you're, as a child, that's like almost 10 months or something. I don't know the exact time, but that's a long time um, in, in child years. So it would, it would always shock me and amaze me um, how much she changed. I come back and she could say different words. And now she was, you know, like running here. And like, it, was, it was incredible to see her progress. But we, I don't know, we just really stayed connected. And when I came back for, for good, more or less, we, we just jumped right into a relationship and a bond that was, that was incredible. And I think it continued to this day. Oh, that's amazing. What, a, what an incredible story of, of decision-making, courage, and moving with your heart and doing the right thing. The baby's mother, your, your daughter's mother, mm -hmm. she, uh, she took care of your daughter while you were gone to, uh, to university? Yes, her and uh, my mom was, played a big role as well. Um, because she was young, she was also really young, right? So she she had to figure out work and figure out schooling and fit, like she was dealing with these things as well while I was away. So uh, my mom played a big role in helping out. But yeah, her daughter's mom was, she was there holding things down while I was away at school. Yeah. And we do need support when things like that happen. You certainly need a, a circle of people around to help and support you. It must have been terribly difficult for you being away from her for that long. Uh, what were some of the things that you were thinking about or what were you planning? What was going on in your head during, uh, you're focusing on, on your scholarship, on your basketball, on your, your studies, and on this beautiful human being that you brought into the world. So yeah. what was going on in that head of yours? Um, a little bit of, of fear because I, I, I wasn't sure that we were going to still be connected. So that, that was my biggest fear. I thought that she wouldn't know who her father was. That, that thought ran through my mind a lot. Also, there were times where I didn't feel like a father. Like, and it, it was really difficult because I wanted to be a dad. I, I remember my, gran my grandmother told me a story just the other day. She reminded me of this, but she told me when I was 10 years old, I told her that I'm going to have a child when I'm 19. I told her that. When I was 10 what? years old, I told my grandmother that. So when I had my daughter, like a week after I turned 19, I, it was it was incredible. But I just say that to say that I re, I always wanted to be a father. Um, so to be away from from her for that long and 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 not being present and knowing that my father wasn't present and that was his biggest flaw, it felt like 
I felt like a, like an imitator, like I felt fake, um, that I wasn't really doing doing the best that I could. But what I held on to though, the thought that I held on to was, think of the longer picture, Karen. Think of the bigger picture. You're doing, you're getting a free education. You're getting experience traveling and playing basketball around North America and kind of around the world. Um, and, and you're going to come out of this a better person and ready to take care of it in a different way that you weren't going to, going to be able to um, if I had stayed at home and not accepted that offer. So that thought was a, one thought that grounded me. The other thoughts were just really just, yeah, just like fear and, and feeling feeling like I was I was not doing my part, my role as a present father. Well, you certainly had a lot going on in your mind. And those that thought process, very, very mature uh, for that age. And it speaks volumes about the character and the passion that you had to tell your grandmother uh, at such an early age that, hey, when I'm 19, I'm going to have a baby. You know, like, there's going to be a baby in this in this world because of me. And uh, <laughs> to have that happen is just ridiculous. I can actually visualize the the, the one year that you're spending with your daughter that first year and then the decisions that you had to make and we already know they were very difficult decisions to make because they were about your daughter's future and your future you were not showing any selfishness you were actually doing something for both of you and for all of you at the time and it uh, certainly paid off when you got back once this was all done Tell us about uh, how how that connection with your daughter, how how that reconnection happened. Really? How old was she when you got back? About four. She would have been about four when I got back. Four, four or five around around that age. And the connection was immediate. Like we we, um, I have this. There's this image of her I always hold on to when when I would drop her to school when I first came back and I'd drop her to school. Um, or sorry, I'd pick her up from school, and when when I'd pick her up, she'd come running out of the out of the schoolyard uh, and come jump into my chest, and I'd grab hold of her, um, and she did it every single time. Every time she just run and jump into my chest. So our connection was immediate, and and then I had to deal with being a parent, like being a parent. Um, if I was gone for four years and I felt um, incomplete because I wasn't being a parent, now coming home to being a parent was actually really difficult. Now it's like I got to work who's gonna um who's gonna pick up my daughter from school when i'm not when i'm not there how are we gonna afford daycare how like it, it just all the things just really kind of hit me hard and and for a moment it was it was a little bit overwhelming like i didn't know how to handle everything and again though i i i i'm really blessed i have i had and have an amazing support system so between my mother my younger brother my aunt my uncle my grandmother um, obviously, uh, my daughter's mother for sure, um, but they just really came together and formulated a, like a schedule so that I wouldn't have to feel so overwhelmed with the times to pick up my daughter and I could still work, you know, do what I have to do for work. And at the same time, too, I was trying to build my my writing career because I, I, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I knew I wanted to be not just an author, but a writer. Um, so it took that took energy and time and focus. And I was uh, learning the craft more, so I was studying and trying to go to courses at the same time I was, as, as as I was working. So, they without that that saying that it takes a village for me was a thousand percent true. And it's and it's so interesting because my mom actually went through the same thing when she 
when she left for Canada, she left without us. She, I have two other brothers, one older, one younger. My mother left without us. She left and she came to Canada for almost three years to get her job settled and get a home settled for us. And we lived with our, our grandmother. Our grandmother and grandfather actually raised us. So I actually call my grandmother mom because of that, because she was, she was that uh, integral to, to our, our upbringing. Um, so it's, it's weird that, you know, these are connections I made later in life, but it's weird that that same situation was the same situation I had to go through. And I, and my mom and I are really close. Like we never lost any kind of connection. And my daughter and I are really close. We never lost any kind of connection as well. But we, me and my mom both share that sacrifice, you know, where it's like we had to go away um, to build a life for our child um, or our children in my mom's case. Um, and we were both ended up being better for it. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. It does take a village to raise a child. And your support system, the people in your life were incredibly helpful during that time and still are, I'm sure. And now she's 18. What are her aspirations? Uh, what does she have to say about all th this whole story? I, I mean, no. I, now that she knows everything. <laughs> it's interesting. We do have those conversations sometimes. And um, she, a couple of things she has to say. At first, like when, when it was really kind of uh, tumultuous, so there are times where it's just, I mean, her daughter's mother and I would, you know, go through regular relationship problems and just like we weren't together after a while. So it just became co-parenting issues. So it became, it was very difficult. And my daughter talks about those times where it was difficult, where she really just focused in on her education and her school. Now, this is a child who would be like eight, nine, 10 years old when this is happening. So for her to actually recognize this and then say, you know what, instead of reacting negatively, I'm going to turn this kind of frustration inward and focus in on my studies. She's gotten A's since third grade. She's not gotten anything except A's and maybe B's here and there since third grade all the way up till she, gra she just graduated this year. So it's, she's been an amazing student. She's been able to focus throughout like very difficult times through co-parenting and living with my mom for a period and then living with me for a period and going back and forth until we finally got settled uh, when she was in eighth grade. We, we really, that's when our life got settled. So now though, now she's, she's, very artistic she she's into um fashion she's actually going to study um uh, fashion and business at humber she's uh, an artist as well though she actually got accepted to go to ocad university but um she she made a decision and she's just like you know fashion is really where i want to go and then she made another decision and decided to seek out a mentor to help her through the process of kind of formulating her business and understanding what that means and and making those connections. So she did all this on her own. She made those decisions on her own. And I was just here as a support system and a guide and to sign papers where I needed to sign papers. <laughs> um, but she still runs it by me. And I think after she, the thing I love about her is that she she still re respects and, and, and asks for my advice and my decisions and my decision-making and my guidance. You know, she's still, you know, she'll, she'll still say, hey, daddy, this is what I'm thinking about. Um, what do you think? And for her, it's still important what I think. Um, and, and it's important that we make decisions together and we choose her classes together and we, you know, to make sure that she's, she's on the right path. And I helped her with her mentor, choose her mentor. Like, it's kind of beautiful that we, we really share this deep bond because you, you just, you never know how, how parenting, I, I'm going to say, let me say it more personally. I didn't know, like I said before, how this would all end up once I, once I did go away for four years I, and, and every day I'm just more and more surprised and more and more excited that and thankful that it did come turn out this way because we, she really is a beautiful child and we have an incredible relationship. It sounds like you do. And it also sounds like she's got the same kind of ability 
to think things through at a young age about her future and what's going to be happening to her. And she's turning to you and to the family unit for help and guidance and advice. Sounds like she's a carbon copy of you. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, that's what people say. They say that all the time because she. I wake up at like 5.30 to write. And now when I wake up, she's awake at 5.30. <laughs> I'm like, what are you? What is going on here? How are you awake this early? But she's like, she loves the morning routine, kind of like me. So I'll, I'll take credit for that. I, I did rub off on her a little bit for sure. And it's a good, I mean, you rubbed off on her in a great way. You, uh, you're a very pleasant individual and I, I'm enjoying uh, this conversation and you, the, the smile on your face and people can't see it, but I might be posting this on YouTube, who knows, but you have an incredible energy about you, Kern. And I know that that energy has rubbed off on her. And it's amazing when you see yourself in one of your children and you see the, the, the good things that uh, have rubbed off on them. What's her name? Christasia. Uh, Christasia? Christasia, yeah. Oh, that's pretty. That's pretty. And yeah, she's she's going to be a powerhouse and make her decisions as she gets, you know, through more of this life and more of these decision makings. 18. There's so 18. much going on in your head. You know, your future, you're this, you're that. And I'm thinking about you at the age of 18, discovering that your, your girlfriend was pregnant and uh, that, what do I do now? And everything changes. But what you did, the decisions that you made, you made out of love and you made out of uh, a commitment that you had made to yourself and a desire that you made to yourself. And I, I really applaud you for that. A lot of people uh, would have, well, everybody would have a difficult time making those decisions, but you certainly made the right ones. So tell us, how did you become interested in writing and, and what are the things that you write about? Well, I've, I've always wanted to write as well. I'm also fortunate in that way where even though I was a basketball player, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Uh, I wrote my first book in, in when I was eight years old in third grade. So I knew that was, that was what I wanted to do with my life. But then once I got to university and I got hurt my last year, my second to last year of university. So I, I, I had to stop playing, but they kept me on scholarship. But when I got hurt, I'm like, okay, basketball's over. This is the time to start focusing on writing. And I went straight to writing. Um, and then I have to figure out how to make money. This is the early, this is the mid, this is the late 2000s, 2000, like, yeah, late 2000s. So I have to figure out how to, how to make money doing this thing. And that's when I really kind of immersed myself into the, into the game and, and figured out how to do copywriting, figured out how to do advertising, ad, ad writing, um, figured out how to do ghostwriting, um, which is writing other people's stories and helping them share their stories, which is, which has been personally fulfilling, but then also it's been fairly lucrative for me as, 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 a, as a career choice. So um, what I write right now um, is, 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 a, is, a, is a mixture of things. I have two books out, two fiction books out. One's called Thoughts of a Fractured Soul. The other is called Beauty Scars. I've so, I've, I self-published those and sold thousands of copies. Um, I also do, like I said before, I do copywriting. So I work with freelancing. I did most of my career, but now I'm, I'm on a solid contract with an organization called RBC Ventures, which is a part of RBC, the actual bank. It's a subset of the bank. Um, so I do copywriting for um, a number of their ventures and businesses. And then um, I do ghostwriting. Ghostwriting, I get to, I, it's something I, it's just, I love it. I get to help other people share their stories and, and, and bring their, you know, st stories like mine to life and greater to life. And people who are not writers really struggle with that. They have these incredible stories in their mind or that they've experienced. And some of them, some people have written some pieces of it down. And then for me to come in and just bring it all together is just a wonderful, wonderful experience for me and, and I hope for them as well. So that's kind of how I make the, the all of my money actually is through, made through writing. So it's just that different mixture 
of, of writing is how it happens. Yeah, and I, I write myself. I've got a couple of books that I've written, and it, it is quite a, a wonderful experience. And I, I never thought of myself as a writer. Uh, for That wasn't one of my aspirations, but fortunately, uh, people kept saying, you have to write, you have to write a book, you have to write a book. And I found myself in a, in a time of my life where I had some, some time on my hands, and uh, I didn't know the first thing about writing. And so I went and I picked up a book on how to write a book. And so I I read the first 40 pages of it and just started putting words, uh, you know, onto the computer. And after about two years looking at it and thinking it was an incredible mess. Uh, and then I had to go and make chapters and sub chapters and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but what, what you said uh, really uh, struck with me too. Everybody does have a story. Mm-hmm. And so many people have great stories inside them. And it's just getting them to start writing or to share it with someone like you so that you can bring it to life. And, and that's got to be, as you said, it is incredibly rewarding. And uh, I'd like to talk uh, more about that, too. Now, with all the experience that you've had it, raising your daughter and the choices that you made, if you could talk to people who are 18, 19, 17, 20, who are going through exactly what you went through, what kind of advice would you give them? It, they just found out that they're going to bring a child into the world and now they don't know where to go or what to do. Mm. That is a really good question. You know, no, I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question before. You know, I would say that everyone's journey is different. I mean, I had a very, I mean, my experiences were very unique to me. And what, the idea I had in my head of what a parent was, was kind of based on the experiences I had with my own father. What I would tell them is, make the decision that they think is going to be best for their child. If that decision is, is for them to tough it out and, and make sure the family unit is together and, and sacrifice and do all those things, make that decision. If the decision is better for you to, to you know, get your parents involved and have them be larger support systems than they typically would be, then make that decision. The, the, what you have to keep in mind is that this person, if you're deciding that this person is coming into the world, they're coming. And they're going to be looking to you or, or, or somebody to make the decisions for them because they can't make decisions. They, can't be, they won't be able to make decisions for, for a long time. So you have to make those decisions for them. And you're not always going to be right. That, that, I think I wish someone had told me that very early on, but you're not always going to be right. It's just, it's just impossible. At any age, you could be a father at, at, or a parent at 40 or a parent at 15. You're not always going to be right. So if you remove that pressure of always trying to be right and replace it with the fa- with the intent to do what's best for your child. I think that let that be the like your guiding light and your kind of standard for how you how you operate as a parent is is really the intent of making decisions that's going to be right for your child and putting them first. Because it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. And the other thing I would tell them is really prepare for your life to change. Just there, there's such a, there was such a distinct change in my life when the moment I found out that, that my girlfriend was pregnant, even before my daughter came into the world, just the moment I found out that she was pregnant, it changes your entire world, your entire world. Be prepared for that. It, it, could, it could really uh, affect you in different ways. And, and I mean, it affected me. It didn't negatively affect me, but I've heard many stories of, of other fathers and other mothers where that kind of pressure does impact them on in negatively. So I would say just be prepared for that kind of um, uh, rush of emotion and rush of pressure 
um, that's going to come with being a parent um, and talk to people. Don't feel like you're in it by yourself. Talk to people. Hopefully you have at least one person. Not everyone's situation is different. Hopefully you have at least one person that you can really talk to um, throughout the situation to really help you cope and deal uh, because it's going to be it's going to be tough. But if you could have that person to lean on, it'll make things a little bit easier. Yeah. And I really love what you said. There's so many things that you touched on. Number one, if you make the decision that this child is coming into the world, as you said, this child is coming into the world. Mm -hmm. And then you have to decide, okay, just how much uh, do I need help? And who do I turn to? And again, you said something uh, that so many people uh, might be afraid to do, and that's to ask people around them for help and yeah. advice, because we all think, we, or sometimes we don't think, we're, we're overwhelmed with the amount of thoughts that we have, and we don't know which way to turn. But what you just said is so, so very important. Turn around to people within your circle, because it does take a village to raise a child. And you can turn around to somebody who may have more experience or who can lend a helping hand or even an ear to listen to a little bit of guidance. And that's what you did as, as a young man, uh, you turned around to your circle and they were very, very helpful. And so that's great advice to anybody out there who might find themselves in a situation like this. I really like what you had to say, Kern. Um, as far as what's going on right now with your writing and everything, are you ever going to write maybe your story you write uh, i think you write fiction right yeah yes. so would you ever write your story I'm, I'm working on it i'm working on it right now i i i, I have it tentatively titled one day i will be myself it, it's yeah that's that's what i'm working on right now i'm a couple of chapters in i'm not it's, it's actually really hard to write a story about yourself it's much harder than writing fiction i don't i thought fiction was hard to write writing a story about yourself and about, about all the stuff that you've gone through, that I've gone through, it is difficult. It's like therapy. So uh, it's, it's, it's complicated, but the way I'm framing it is that I'm actually, I'm subtitling my failures as a father because focusing the story on my journey of parenthood and subtitling my failures as a father is because I actually want to give the opposite effect. I want to give people hope because I have such an amazing relationship with my daughter and we've gone through a lot, but we're still here and we're still together and where she's doing amazing and I'm doing amazing. I want to title it my failures as a father to show that I've done a lot of things that were wrong. Even to get to this point, I've done a lot of things that were wrong and it's okay. Because again, like what I said previously, like my intent was always to put her first. I always, no matter what I did wrong, my my objective was my daughter and the best, what's best for my daughter and whatever I had to do for my daughter. And those failures, a lot of the times when I reflected on them, when I'm writing them now, were personal failures. I thought like in the moment that, oh, I'm failing my daughter, I'm failing this, I'm failing my family. But no, like those, they were personal failures, failures that I, in my mind, I thought was, was much larger than it actually turned out to be. You know what I mean? So I do. It, it, it's, 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 it's interesting kind of the, the process of putting going through this 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 autobiography but yeah i am i'm definitely writing a book about it and hopefully it'll be out soon I'm, I'm, we'll see how it goes 
I'm really happy to hear that because uh, that was a thought that I had after our first telephone conversation. I wondered whether or not you were going to write a book about your experiences because there's so much that you have even told us in this short period of time about raising a child, about the choices that we make. And yes, we're imperfect people living in an imperfect world. We're going to make mistakes. But the important thing is that we don't just leave them as mistakes. The important thing is that we go we go and we try to to either correct our mistakes or to not repeat our mistakes. And that is such an important message for everyone out there is that give yourself permission to make mistakes because we're not perfect and we're not always going to have the answers. And we're, we're, we may do something that or say something that isn't right at the time, but we just have to go back and do the very best we possibly can because the relationship is that important. It is so important to write about those things. And you, uh, you reminded me of something I said uh, recently as well. You spoke of this autobiography as a little bit of therapy when you write it down. It's not easy to write down those personal things. And it is very therapeutic when you reflect on it. It forces you to, to sit there and look at that and go, wow, yeah, I, I remember that moment. And it gets even more involved in your head. And you're laughing. I can see that that's going through. I think we're better off. And for any aspiring writers out there, what would you tell them? What, what would you tell aspiring writers? Because, Karen, you're a writer, you're a professional writer. You've been doing this for a very long time. And I'm sure you've probably heard this before. Uh, uh, Karen, um, you know, I, I was thinking about writing a book. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and you've heard that, right? Oh, many, many times. Many and, and, <laughs> and what is your answer to all those people who oh, are thinking God. of writing a book? I'm thinking of writing a book. If you're thinking of writing a book, I would say write it down. Write, write it. If, 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 don't worry about grammar. Don't worry about if it's good. Don't worry about anything. If you have a story in your, in your head and you could actually write like you're literate, write it down. Because there are people out there like myself um, who can help you actually make that into a story that people will, would, would appreciate. Um, and that you could share with the world in a, in a more formal fashion. So I would say just get started and write it down. Um, that's the first step that you don't you don't know what you what you don't know about the process. Um, and what I real what I also realized though is that like not to be discouraging, but once people actually start writing, they realize how how tedious of a process writing can be. So once they once they get into that phase, they're like, oh wow, this is a, lo- a lot more than I thought I could I could deal with. And if that's the case, again, find someone like myself who will help you through the process. If you're an actual writer, if you're if, if writing is something that you want to do with your career and your job, then you need to get through that. You really need to get through understanding what it what it takes to be a writer. So I would tell them, uh, make sure you're studying the craft. Writing, especially novel writing, especially any kind of literary writing, it takes a, a level of technique that I don't think many people appreciate. So I would say study the craft. Make sure you know what you're doing. Then I would say make sure you're reading. Make sure you're reading other writers and reading other books so you can see, like, you could get, like, a vision in your own mind of what your story could potentially be like. And, and, and feel free to let those ideas seep into your own writing. That's, that's the point of right reading. It's like, let those ideas seep in. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to read a book and then get an idea and be like, I want my book to be similar. That's, that's imagination and that's being inspired. That's what it means to be inspired, right? 
your story is always going to be unique and always going to be different. So don't get too caught up in that. But I would say, yes, yeah, study your craft. If you're a writer, I would say study your craft. Do a lot of reading. Don't be afraid to let that reading seep into your own writing. And if you're not a writer, I would say just literally start point by point form. If that's what it takes, point form. This is the first part of my life. This is the, the point form, go dot by dot, and then find someone who will help you bring that story together. There are plenty of us. I'm not even going to just promote myself. There are plenty of ghost writers out there, plenty of writers out there who would be great at, at helping you bring your story together. Yeah. And one of the very, very important things that you mentioned was just get started. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, like the, the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. But you'll never get to where you want to go unless you first take that step. And a lot of people, I think that that's what blocks them. It's the fear, uh, the overthinking, uh, the uncertainty as to where it's going to go. And if they do get stuck, where do they go? Well, you answered that. You know, they could go to someone like yourself who could help them to get their thoughts and their ideas on paper and help them with that. But you're right. First thing is to get started. And your advice about read and, and listen to other people's stories, see how it fits with yours. Is it your writing style? Develop your own writing style. But, and don't worry about the grammar. Don't worry about anything right now. Just worry about getting those thoughts on paper. And later on, you can craft it and mold it into whatever you want. Or go to someone like yourself who could help with editing and a number of other things, because I'm sure that you do some editing for people as well, uh, being in the type of career that you're in. And you wrote your first story when you were in grade three at the age of eight, get, 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 come on. what's that about? Yeah, um, it was a story called The Battle. My mom still has this book. I'm going to show it on, on Instagram for proof because no one believes me when I tell them this story. I'm going to my mom's house today after this. Uh, yeah, I, I really, really love writing, you know, so and it's always been like that. And in third grade, I just I wanted to write this book and I wrote it. It's called The Battle. And it's, it's just imagine like Lion King, but with different animals besides just just lions like the lions weren't the weren't the protagonist in my book but it was kind of like a lion king type of story with animals in the fort in the jungle type stuff but I mean my my mom also told me that I was pretending to read at uh at three years old I would like look at looking at magazines pretending to flip through newspapers like I knew the words that she knew I couldn't read so she it was just like I was just inclined more inclined to towards writing and literature and art in general my entire life. And I think I'm blessed to, to have that focus so early on. It really helped my decision-making. I knew what I wanted to do. So I made decisions based around that. Um, it made me stay grounded. So I never went, even when I would do things that maybe were like a little troublesome and that I never veered too far left because I had this vision in my head of who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And I think that not having that it, it, I possibly would have went in different directions if that wasn't there to ground me. So I, I thank writing. I, I, I love writing. Just like, just like I know I, I, I'm really into sports. So just how, how I kind of, when I listen to athletes talk and I watch, listen to their interviews, they talk about just like how basketball saved my life. And that's, you know, they wake up and they practice every morning and, and that's really what helped them stay focused throughout their entire life. Like that's how I feel about writing. Like I, I wake up every single morning to write. Um, I've been doing this for years, like not just like years and years. I've been waking up every morning to write. And I, and I do that because I say I want to start my day with something that I love, like something that I know in my heart I love so that no matter what happens throughout the day, I could say, you know what, I, I, I started this day with something that I love to do. I did something today that I really love to do. And that, that's just a, a, a routine, routine I've kind of continued on. But 
uh, my passion started a very long time ago. And that's a gem. You just mentioned a real gem. You start your day with something that you love to do. And I think when we start our days out on a positive note, then the day is more likely to take a positive note as opposed to anything else. And you start each and every one of your days doing something that you absolutely love. And I really am impressed by you. You, uh, Your father was absent in your life, and it's not easy for any child, a boy or a girl, not to have their father uh, or any of their parents actually involved in their life. When you were young, uh, I know that you had your mom, you had your grandmother, and you had your circle of people. Was there a male figure in your life that you looked up to, or how did you how did you become the man? How, how did that happen for you? That's a, that's a good question. There wasn't a single male figure that actually, um, that did it for me, except for my grandfather. Like, and he was in my life when I was very young because I came to Canada when I was about five or six. So I have very vivid memories of my grandfather, happy memories before he passed. Like he was, he was an incredible man. He actually built the house that we lived in in Trinidad. So he was an incredible person. But no, I, it was the women in my life. I mean, my grandfather, my grandmother, my aunt, my mom, they raised me and taught me everything that I needed to know. And then I was also fortunate because, I mean, I had an older brother who was an amazing example. My older brother is just, can I, let me tell you my older brother's resume really quickly. My Let's older brother was at one point, we come from an athletic family. At one point, he was the second best high school football player in all of North America, not just Canada, North America, uh, was heavily recruited and ended up going to Stanford University, played four years in the NFL, then went on to play in the CFL and won two or three championships in the CFL with the Montreal Alouettes. And now he lives in Seattle. That's where he played football. He lives in Seattle right now with his wife and two kids, my nieces, who are beautiful and has this incredible career still within sports. He, so his example, I, I just say that to brag for sure, but his example was incredible he set the standard he set the bar he said this is how you behave you know what i'm trying to say like this is how you act this is how you treat your mother this is how you treat a woman this is how you excel at sport this is how you excel in school excel in school he he set that standard so although he was like we're three years apart so he wasn't taking care of me in that sense but he was showing me what it was like just to just to exist and be great at something and to have ambitions and to live your dreams like Imagine as a young boy, young person in general, but I'm a young boy and I'm seeing my brother live his dreams. I'm seeing my brother say, I'm going to, I want to be a professional football player when he was in eighth grade. And then by 10th grade, he's getting letters to be, in, go to Ohio State and Wisconsin and all those amazing, he visited these schools. You know what I'm saying? He visited yeah. Ohio State and stuff like that. So imagine me seeing that. I, I thought anything was possible. I, I literally, in my mind, I thought anything was possible. And that first started with my mom because she had this, this, this um, saying that she, that she instilled in us at a young age and she always taught us to think big. So I know my brother took that and flew with it. But then I, just to directly see my brother just, just excel and, and, and really live his dreams. And it made that proximity made, it, made me feel like anything was possible. Um, so he was, he was really... Uh, if you're talking about a male figure in my life, who was an example. He was the best one I could point to. Like he, he was, he was impressed. Still is. Just like, it's, it's. He was perfect. All I know he wasn't perfect, but it was, if you could mold a role model that, like, 
it'll, it'll be my older brother. And I know that's probably a lot of pressure for him, uh, but he was, he was incredible, man. I can't, I can't say enough about him. I can tell just by your smile and, and the way you're using your hands, just how, how incredible he is in your life. And, and you have such a great circle of supporters and people that you love and people who love you. That's what we need right now. During these tough times, we need to turn to the people in our circles and to, to talk to them, to open up, and just to even to say thanks for all the wonderful things that you've brought into my life and all these kind of things, because we're not going through some easy times here. And how are you coping? Uh, how's the writing and everything? Uh, is, is there still a good market for you right now during COVID? Again, I've been fortunate. It, 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 if anything, the demand has increased. To be completely oh. honest with you, people people want more content. So more people are at home trying their own thing. More the the demand before before COVID and everything happened was already starting to increase. But now that people are home and the the economy looks different to them now, more more and more people are kind of trying their own their own business or trying to want to do some online learning or want to know how to write a book. Or now that they have time, they want to okay, I want to I always want to write this book and tell this story. So now I want to tell this story. So. It, it for me business has increased i i haven't suffered from that perspective at all emotionally i think it was difficult for me at the beginning because i'm a social person i like hanging out with friends and inviting friends over randomly going to bars and going to book readings and going to concerts like i i really love doing that and going to art shows and i wasn't able to do that so for me the that was the most difficult part was just not being connected to people physically that was tough but i've I mean, I'm dealing with, dealing with it. Um, once the rules loosened up, I was able to invite a couple of friends over, so that helped a lot. And then, I mean, just dealing with dealing with everything else is just is is it's not normal, but I, I think I've I, I just think I've I've found a way to be resilient. Uh, that mm. that's all I could think of. I can't I can't really pinpoint why, but I just don't feel like I I, I sunk too deep. Um, and it could be for all the reasons I just mentioned before, like I wasn't affected like economically and stuff like that. So I still had stability. So I, I, I've been able to, to really kind of be resilient and hang on. Um, there are people who are going through it in a lot worse ways than I am. So I, I know like my story is not going to like that part of my story is not, I, I can't resonate with the other people. I could only be empathetic towards it. I've, I've been fortunate. I've been blessed. I, I can't, I can't even imagine what some other people are going through and who, who, jobs have been upended their livelihoods are completely you know upside down and and you know they've had family members maybe that they've lost and they weren't able to see like those things are to me are are wild you know and i haven't experienced any of it so i can only say that i'm fortunate and i and i really i do i do feel for the other people who have had to go through much worse circumstances than me. i couldn't have said that better myself i i totally agree with you that this pandemic has been for some people eye-opening uh, for other people. It's destroyed much of their income or, or their hopes. And we just really need to not only support one another, but to encourage one another through this very difficult time. And you also touched on something that a number of people are examining their lives right now and discovering that they may have to do something different in life and may have to start their own business or start writing or doing something to bring some money in. So I think a lot of good is going to come out of this pandemic. Uh, if only everybody can remain, I guess, hopeful 
through these difficult times. So thank you very much for sharing that. Now, your website, is it cry? Um, there's, yeah. there's a C-R-Y. Is it, is yeah. it yeah. the word cry? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. And, and what is the actual address? I've been to it this morning. but uh. cry. Okay, so it's uh, crymag. It's at crymag.com. It's on, well, not crymag.com. It's if you type, just Google crymag, it's on Medium. So I can, it's not .com. Um, it's through Medium, which is a writing platform that we get to host our publication on. Right. Um, and it's all about really helping writers and creatives deal with the emotional aspects of, of, their, of their art. So yes, there, there are two. I, the way we look at it is there are two parts to, to being an artist. There's a, the technical stuff, the educational stuff that you need to know. How do you write? How do you form sentences? How do you take proper photographs? Like there's, there's the technical aspect. We touch on those things, but the, the core focus of Cry is to talk about the emotional aspects of being creative. How to deal with rejection, confidence, not being heard, like all those, not having a partner that's not creative, like all the emotional aspects of being a creative is what we really, really focus on. Uh, fear, like we, we just did a, a whole thing on fear and rejection the other day. We are trauma writing, like we really focus on that and try to give uh, emerging writers and emerging creatives a space to talk about that. We have about a hundred different writers, I would say about a, a, a quarter of them or so are regular. We, we have hundreds of stories on our, on our blog page, on our publication page. We found an opening, let's just say, we found a, in the market, if you want to get very business turn savvy about it, where we found that people weren't talking, weren't dedicated to that space. They weren't dedicated to talking about emotions. And we, and, and we dedicated our, our brand to that. And that's what we want to do. We, want to, we really want to build this community of emerging creatives and, and more so like we, our focus is more on building community than anything else so that, and when we say build community, we don't just want people liking our posts. That, that is just like so baseline to what we wanted. So like basic to what we want to do. We want people, um, we have people, or we have conversations with people over WhatsApp, over uh, uh, Instagram messenger. Uh, we have Zoom calls with our, with our audience. We're really, really tight. Like this is not a regular community where it's just like you come read an article and you leave. We have conversation. I had a, a, a ten-minute conversation over what over Instagram with somebody just today, right before this interview. We like this community is really close knit, um, which is which is what we want. We I want the way I envision building it is almost like like when you go to university and then you become an alumni, and then you feel very connected to that university. That's that's the kind of connection that we want, so that we could use each other for support. And if I'm going to I know now that if I'm going to South Africa, I know someone who I could go there to and talk to and engage with and get advice from and hang out with. Like, I know someone in the UK and Ireland and New Jersey and um, we have Germany, Israel. We're literally all over the world. I could feel very comfortable going to these places and connecting with people that we built over the CRY community. So that's a level of engagement and community building that we're trying to accomplish at CRY. And then... Um, and then on the back end, we have business goals, obviously, that we try to accomplish, which is through ghostwriting and, and storytelling and stuff like that. But really, our focus is on building community. And that's so important. Yeah, you did find something, I guess, uh, in, in the writing community that was missing that you've provided support for, because everybody does go through some emotion when they're writing and fear, as you said, and uncertainty. And to have a, again... This is a community that support one another in making sure that they get the best out of themselves as possible. And it's really, again, that community has the same kind of principles as the family that we talked about earlier. 
having that support system in place to help one another, encourage one another, and just be the guidance we possibly can. And it's your story is so incredibly uh, amazing. You're such a warm, generous, uh, and and genuine individual. I really, uh, I really see, or I feel the energy, and I see the energy just looking at your face. You're smiling all the time. You're a very, very positive person. So, it's it, it's uh, such a, a pleasure to speak with you. Now, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Kern, where where can they do that? I know we just talked about your website, but what about your Instagram or, or you yeah. know, how do they find you there? Everything for me is Kern Carter. I'm lucky I have that name. So no one else has that, not at least not on social media. So if you just Google Kern Carter, go to Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Kern Carter, I will pop up and you will see everything that, um, that I'm doing. I'm, I literally just uh, paused my website because I'm rebuilding it. So you, everything used to be on my website at kerncarter.com. That won't be up for another couple of months because I'm totally redoing it. But if you just Google current card, you'll see my Instagram. You'll definitely see Cry, Cry's blog stuff, which is which is the core of where everybody meets for, for what I'm trying to accomplish right now. So I would definitely suggest if you want to engage with me, you start with the Cry blog. Um, just go to Cry Mag or even if you type in Cry Academy, you'll see it on Medium. And then start there and then, then you can see everything else that's happening. But yeah, that's it. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking your time today and for sharing your incredible story with us. And I'm looking forward to reading your books. And I'm also looking forward to your autobiography, which you, uh, you give yourself another two months or so uh, to write that or maybe a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. But I, I'm looking forward to, uh, to reading that as well. And I can see the picture on the cover, you and your daughter. You know, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's Simple. My, Simple. Yeah, simple. very yeah. simple. You, you and your daughter. There you go. That you team. Know you know oh, it. yeah. Again, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing everything that you have with us. Uh, I really appreciate it. What you've given us are gems here today. You've inspired a lot of people with your story. Thank you so much for having me. And I am coming back. I didn't forget that. You know, you got to have me back. I'm oh yeah, I'm having you back. I'm yeah, I want to find out. This is the uh, this is only chapter one. There are so many chapters in a book. We're gonna to listen to the uh, next chapter after it's done. Amazing, amazing. Thank you. Thanks, so much. man. All right. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient. 